Sometimes when you come across a passage in the Bible, it can look so simple, so self-evident, speak for itself, that you sort of think, well, this will be quick, short, there's nothing much to say, but I'm paid to be the minister here, so it, it can never quite be like that. Um, I, uh, I need to keep you here for 25 minutes, don't I? That's, that's the way we do it. Um, you look at this passage and you think it's going to be easy, and, and in a sense it is. I, I don't think it's complicated. We have read far more complicated passages than this. But I had to think quite a bit about how to teach it. Um, so I want to say a couple of things before we, we jump into the passage. A couple of things that I, I just want to, to recognize but not, not deal with in any great length. First of all, I want to say, I think this is a beautiful passage. If you didn't get that or in our reading or aren't already aware of that before we come to it today, this, this is one of the high points in the whole of the biblical story of God's people. I would say the, the picture that's painted of God's people here, it, it just doesn't get much better than this. And whenever you hear people saying, oh, I wish our church was a bit more like the church in Acts, it's this passage they're talking about. It can't be the whole of the book of Acts because there's a whole lot of stuff that happens in the church in Acts that we don't necessarily want going on here. It's this passage. People, people read this and they love it. And they say, I wish my church could be more like that. So that's the first comment. It's a, it's a very beautiful passage, one that stirs our dreams and our visions for what the church could be. The second thing I want to point out is, although it's short, it's very, very rich. There's an awful lot in there. So, for example, verse 42, you could notice four things that were going on in, in this church that we read about. They're devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Each one of those is a huge topic. I could do easily a sermon on each one of those. All of a sudden, we have a four-week mini-series just in the, the one verse. And even if we did that, we wouldn't have dealt with some of the stuff later on in the passage. So verse 43, stuff about wonders and miraculous signs. Verse 44 and 45, the believers holding everything in common, selling their possessions to give to those in need. Ooh. You know? That, that would need I would need one Sunday or a couple or more just to have even a halfway decent look at that. Another mini series there. So our passage this morning is, is very rich. There's a lot in it, and it is beautiful. I, I think you could do six or seven weeks on this, uh, and someday maybe we'll take that approach. But we're not going to today. Today we're going to leave the stuff about the wonders and the miraculous signs because there will be other opportunities further in our series when we will have a bit of a look at that. Similarly, we're not going to think about the church and her possessions. Um, we'll come to that at another passage where that particular issue comes to the fore. So whenever you step back, whenever you say, I'm not going to go down any of these important side roads. They're important, but we're not going to follow them. We're going to stick with the main flow. What's this passage finally about? What's it saying? I'm going to suggest that this passage 
more than almost any other in Scripture, shows us that the Spirit-filled church is a community. Look again at the text. Uh, If you have it open there before you, if you don't, uh, I'd encourage you to turn to it. So it's page 1094, if you're using the Bibles there in the pew. Have, Have a look at the text. Just let it speak for itself. Let it say what it says. And in case you've missed it, this is all about community. In case we don't pick that up in verse 42, if we make that about a bunch of activities... Then look at verse 44. All the believers were together. Verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes and ate together. So this morning we're going to take uh, this very simple realization. We're going to say that this uh, spirit-filled church is a community. And we're going to notice just two main things from Scripture. First of all, the spirit-filled church couldn't be anything other than a community. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, we're going to take a few moments to think about how Kirkpatrick Memorial longs to be a a spirit-filled community. So first, the spirit-filled church could not be anything other than a community. That's a pretty rash kind of a claim because you might say to yourself, well, I've I've seen churches, all kinds of churches. They're not all uh, strong on community. So you'd need to substantiate that, Christoph. You'd need to show us that there's some validity in that claim. Well, okay, let's try to do that. What is it that's prompting me to say that the the Spirit-filled church must be a community? Well, let's, let's begin by talking about the nature of God. Who is God? Biblical Christians are Trinitarian people. That is, we believe that God is one, but at the same time, he's three persons. So our God, we say, is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you might remember struggling with this, either in Sunday Club, if the teacher brought it up, or in school. Round about St. Patrick's Day, I remember, the teacher told us about Patrick, told us about the shamrock, the leaf made up of three parts. Listen, forget the shamrock. Forget the leaf and the three parts. Stick with who God is. God is one, but three persons. Do you you understand this, what we're saying here? Our God is not an individual. Our God is a community. If you've never understood that before, or begun to think about the implications of that, then today's the day to start. Our God is an eternal community of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's staggering, and it's a real game changer in terms of how we think of ourselves as the people of God. With that in mind, will you flick with me to Genesis 1? Genesis 1. Genesis is the first book of the Bible right at the start there, so I think we're on page four. This is the part of the Bible where we're told about God creating the world and actually creating us to creating human beings. And there's something very interesting that we're told here 
about the nature of God and, and actually about ourselves then. So we're told in verse 27, God created man or humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God has made us to be like him. And we said a moment ago that our God is not an individual. Our God is a community. So our God, who is a community, has created us in his image. And that changes who I am, my self-understanding forever. It means that I am not an individual. I'm only ever a person created for community. My life actually only makes sense to the extent that I'm living it in community. It's only then that I'm displaying and living out the image of God. So there's a first reason why the church must be a community, because it's the people of God. Couldn't be any other way. Second reason why the church must be a community. It's the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, as you know, is God who came to be among us. Emmanuel, God with us. We have no better idea of who God is than when we look at Jesus Christ. And what I want to tell you today about Jesus and ask you to notice is that he was a persistent and relentless builder of community. Think about it for a second. Jesus' public ministry, it starts with him preaching, but the gospel writers agree that pretty soon after he starts preaching, Jesus, well, turn with me, I'll show you. Mark chapter 3, page, uh, Mark chapter 3 on page 105. Each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, They all tell us of a time early in Jesus' ministry when he appoints 12 disciples to learn from him how to do it. But notice how Mark puts it in his gospel. I hadn't noticed this until very recently, but it's beautiful. He says in chapter 3, verse 14, about Jesus appointing these 12, he appointed 12, designating them apostles. Why? That they might be with him. The living God comes among us, chooses a bunch of guys because he wants to be with them. Because this is the only way to be God. It's to be in community. Folks, if you then run that forward and you say, well, is that true? You'll discover that Jesus in the Gospels is never alone. He's always working with the guys. Actually, he is alone. But any time he is alone, the whole point of his being alone, it's him withdrawing from community so that he can go and have some time with his father. It's kind of like the exception that proves the rule. He's only ever withdrawing so that he can go and have a special time with his father. So much is he immersed in community. 
There was one time when Jesus, I think, articulated this and made this commitment to community very clear to us. And maybe you'd flick with me one last passage. Luke chapter 10 on page 1042. Luke chapter 10 on page 1042. So a teacher of the law came to Jesus this day and he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, you need to understand how Jewish culture works. God's law in Jewish culture wasn't something, you didn't learn the Ten Commandments, or you didn't laminate them and stick them to the the kitchen wall. You carried them in your heart. God's law wasn't a legal thing. It wasn't a theological idea. It was the, the vision of that community for its whole life. So when the lawyer comes to Jesus and he says, which is the most important of the commandments? His question isn't a legal or a theological one. It's one about the nature of life, the overarching nature of human life. I think he's saying something like, what's the most important thing in life, Jesus? What's life all about? If you got that, you'd be close to the lawyer's question. And what does Jesus say? He reaches back into the Old Testament, lifts from there two commandments that God had given his people. He rivets them together and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, what's life all about? It's about love. It's about community. Community with God your Father and with those whom God has given you. Folks, the church can't be anything but a community because it follows in the ways of Jesus Christ. If this is all true, if our God is a community God, if his son Jesus who came to earth to be God among us turned out to be this persistent and and relentless builder of community, then it shouldn't surprise us what we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following. The Spirit-filled church turns out to be what? A a very dynamic community. Couldn't be anything else. No other form that it could have taken. And that brings me very naturally to the, the second thing we want to think about this morning, much more briefly. And that is simply to say that because we see this kind of thing in Scripture, this is the kind of church that we want to be. I hope that's self-evident. That when we see it in God's Word, we want to do it, live it, be it. So far this morning, I've avoided, uh, and carefully, I went into it early in the week with an alarm bell ringing in my head, Christoph, don't make this into a to-do list. Don't make Acts 2 into here's a bunch of things we need to do in church. And I think I've managed, I hope, to do that. But at the same time, there are markers here of what kinds of things happen in a community when God's Spirit is present. Rather than seeing this morning's passage as a to-do list, I want to see it with you for what it really is. It's, it's, a, it's a record of the earliest church. 
It's an account of their life together. Luke's simply telling us what happened in this church after God's Spirit came on them. They're people who devote themselves to the apostle teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And as I sat in the study this week, tried to think about how to talk to you about this, it warmed my heart. Because I see a lot of this in Kirkpatrick Memorial. Have a look at it. The Apostles' teaching. We have recognized as a community that we at least want to try to hear and to live out God's Word. That's been such an important value to us these 11 years that I can speak of. I I know that that's a part of our DNA. We've devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to God's Word as we have it. We've devoted ourselves to each other in fellowship. You see glimpses of it on a Sunday morning. This church is a caretaker's nightmare because you don't get to lock the door three minutes after the service when everybody's ripped off home. You have to wait for over an hour pretty much every Sunday till they get out because they they stay here and they chat away and they chat away. They want to be together. They want to share life together. It's good. Wouldn't have it any other way. The breaking of bread. I don't know if you prioritize this or not, how you eat and who you eat with. It's important to look three times in our passage today, he mentions eating together. As you know, we're a church that, that likes to eat together. On a Sunday morning, it's pretty meager. It's a cup of tea and a jammy dodger. But lots of other times, particularly in our discipleship groups, we get chances to, to share life together around a table, to be close with one another, and to share life. Prayer. None of us, I don't think, would want to stand up this morning and say, I've got this sorted. I'm praying well. I'm praying the way I'd like to. But a lot of us, when we're in community, when we have our conversations together, recognize that this is a place where we'd like to grow. And there are opportunities to do that in the community here. We pray on Sundays. We pray on Wednesdays and Fridays. You'll see that in in the update, and I'd encourage you to have a look at that. We pray in our discipleship groups. I've heard of groups that just be texting each other, Facebooking, making sure that whenever somebody needs help, needs to know God's presence, there's a group of people there living that and praying it with them. As I say, reading this passage this week and reflecting on the life of our community, I was encouraged. I need to say something else, though. I need to say that I'm painfully aware these days of my weaknesses and of my failings and of the ways in which I'm a disappointment to people in a gathering like this. I'm painfully aware of that. And I'm aware, too, of people who have found this gathering, this church family, to be a disappointment to them. 
I want to, to name all that too. So what to do? This beautiful biblical image of a community and what it could be. Some glimpses along the way that it actually reaches those places occasionally. But maybe a good deal of frustration and heartache too. What to do? I found some inspiration in an unusual place. Um, over Christmas time, I got to see for the first time uh, the film Gravity, the seven times Oscar winning film from last year. And it gave me a chance to think about, about what to do. If you know anything about the film, you'll know that Sandra Bullock plays a character called Ryan Stone, Dr. Ryan Stone. She's a biomedical engineer and she's on board the NASA Space Shuttle Explorer for first space mission. The movie tells of a, a catastrophic accident that they're involved in and Dr. Stone's struggle to get back home. At one point when it looks like she's not going to make it and she's resigning herself to slipping to a, an oxygen-starved death, she dreams of a visit from uh, another member of her team, a veteran astronaut, George Clooney. Now, maybe some of the women in the congregation can identify with this. When life's not going well, there's a recurring dream, and George Clooney's in it. <laughs> this girl's life slipping away. Her, her colleague appears to her, her colleague Kowalski, Kowalski, and he challenges her. He says, do you want to go back? Talking about earth and life. Or do you want to stay up here? I get it, he says. It's nice up here. You can just shut down all the systems, turn out all the lights, you can just close your eyes and tune out everybody. There's nobody up here who can hurt you. It's safe. I mean, what's the point of going on? What's the point of living? Folks, there are a lot of people here who have been burned by a community who are, for the time being, staying in the safe place. And I want to ask you today, is that where you're going to stay? You can stay there and you might not be hurt very often. But the reason you won't be hurt is because you won't be alive. You'll have no life left in you to feel anything. What's the point of going on? What's the point of living? We know the answer because we thought about it a moment ago. Jesus Christ has told us what the point of living is. It's to love. It's to love God and to love the people he's given us. We were made for community. 
But the beautiful thing about Jesus is he doesn't just answer our questions, our deepest questions. He, he shows us the way. You see, he lived in the beautiful place, the place beyond where I could disappoint him or hurt him or cause him any harm. But he chose to come. To be in the place where he not only risked disappointment and hurt and harm, but to be in the place where he actually experienced and knew he would experience disappointment, hurt, harm, rejection, and death. He went through the biggest relationship breakup imaginable, a fracture in his eternal relationship with his father. And he did that to bring me home so that I can come back in and be in community. Friends, the Spirit-filled church is a community. It's going to be an absolute mess and glorious at the same time. But there's no other way. This is the church that the Spirit of God builds. Let's pray. Father God, we, we love who you are and what your heart is. Um, to think that, that at the heart of, of life is, is love, at the heart of all things is an invitation from you to be with you and to be with each other. We love that. But Lord, we fear it too. Uh, because those dreams that we have of being able to give and receive in community have, have been battered and bruised in countless different ways. So, Lord, we're not going to try and build community here ourselves. We're not going to try harder at being nicer to each other. Instead, we're going to say today, Spirit of the living God, come and make something of us. You make us a community because we can't do it ourselves. And Lord, hear us now as individually we open our lives to receiving the Spirit of God, to receiving a, a new heart, a new appetite for that one next step to come back into the family to be part of the community. Lord Jesus, draw us closer to you, and in the drawing us closer to you, draw us closer to each other. Amen.